Welcome to Awakenings Movement Podcast. Awakenings Movement is a community where dreamers become believers and believers become doers. Verse 10, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. A well-known scripture. We're going to turn on its head today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. I want to celebrate Saki, who took his very last undergraduate class. He'll be graduating when? The 15th. Colin Powell will be speaking at his commencement. For real? Yes, so I'm going. Rice University? Yeah, I'm going. I wasn't going to go before the end, but now I'm going. I'm just playing. I was going to go. Um, but I'll say this too, man. Like, uh, Saki, I have a colleague that I work with from Duke, and um, she works, she's the head of a department where Saki took some classes. And one thing that I thought was interesting is that she, I said Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, sorry. And one thing I thought that was interesting is uh, I told her, I was like, yeah, you know, Saki is a member of our church. She's like, oh my God, Saki is fascinating. I love him. And then immediately she said, I must come to your church. And we know the Bible says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto you. Don't you know that the way that in which we live can naturally without words lift God up? And so he lifts God up as a student in such a way that he draws his teachers unto us and she wants to visit our church. I thought that was so cool. So thank you for your leadership, man. God bless you. Ephesians, oh, y'all don't want to clap for Saki? Y'all like, oh, we already clapped because he graduated. That's enough. (laughs) Ephesians, ooh, his daddy would be so mad at y'all right now. Ephesians chapter two, are your parents coming? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait, dude. (laughs) Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Ephesians chapter two. Yeah, so why am I in Philippians? I did, I said Philippians? Well, let me see. Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. Let's start with verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Thank you, Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 continues by saying, For then we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. For we are God's handiwork. Give me another interpretation. For we are God's what? Workmanship. Workmanship. Anybody have anything that's different? Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do what kind of works? Good works. Which God prepared in advance for us. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Why do we read the scripture in the beginning? Because the scripture has a way of piercing to the heart in a way that my words won't. So I'm gonna start with scripture so that I can open up like a, a valve in your heart so that the words can fall off into. They're just gonna fall in there because the scripture has opened up your hearts, all right? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 
through 29. It's here on the board. Let's read it. Let's read it. Ready? Read. Come unto me. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To God the Father be the glory. God, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus acknowledging that you are God and you are God alone. And at the, even the name of Jesus, the earth turns on its head. While turning on an axis that was designed by you, the whole way about life turns around just at the mention of your name. Anger becomes joy just at the mention of your name. Pain becomes peace just at the mention of your name. Those who stand proud are brought humbly and lovingly to their knees just at the mention of your name, Jesus a sweet name that pierces the heart and makes it open for all good things to be made new. Lord, we love you. Lord, we bless you. Lord, we give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. His name is Jay Dilla. Oh, I got no donuts about them donuts. This is the sound of a dying man. Why do I say that? Listen to this here. This song is called Working On It. Give you that ugly face. <laughs> Feel like a DJ. I ain't even got no DJ stuff, just. <laughs> Jay Dilla is the name of a DJ who's also a producer, who's a master musician. Of course, he didn't get claimed fame till he died. Yet on his dying bed, while he was in the hospital, he asked his mother, against her wishes, to bring the instrument that he created his music with to the hospital with records and turntables so that he can still do what he was born to do, even though he was dying. He made this album in a hospital. It's called Donuts on his hospital bed, and it was the last piece of work that he ever submitted to the world. This is the sound of a man dying, but this is the sound of a man who's dying in a way that brings life. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? Jesus has a way, even in how he died, of bringing new life to all. That's why the Bible says that he died that we might, what, have life and have it more abundantly, right? And I think a lot about um, Jay Dilla, this particular musician, and I think a lot about this album because the album was made to be like a donut. He called it donut because a donut, you don't know where the donut begins and you don't know where the donut ends. So it was supposed to, be, to represent this eternal contribution that he wanted to make with music. Also, he called it donut so that you would not see an end to his life, but every time you listen to this album, you would see his life starting over and over again. And he designed the album from start to finish to sound like it was just one rotation. Anybody ever listen to Donuts? And then you, you start with the first song, and before you know it, 
you're listening the second time and you're into the third song and you didn't even know it started over? Because he intimately and passionately designed every single song to be woven together into the fabric of a donut that has no beginning and has no end. So when you play that album, you can play it all day and it just loops beautifully, masterfully. I love how this man died. And I believe that he died the way he did, living so fully so that we could live even more fully, just like Jesus. I want to share one lesson with you about Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla grew up on the playground and he was teased and abused because his lips had more definition, had more um, density than most people. His features were a bit more, um, were a bit different than everyone else's. And so some called him ugly, I just called him authentic, right? So this sense of rejection led him into a place to where he got into music. And he started to develop a keen ear for how to put old songs together to make them new songs. And he turned his mama's basement into what they called like a dungeon, where he would go down there and he would make music like for weeks. And he would come out with album after album after album. You think of any major producer today who's doing well, that person was influenced by Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla took the rejection and turned it into an exceptional music. He found a way to be accepted by music and the creation of music in a way that was far beyond how he was rejected. How many times do you take rejection and turn it into something beautiful? Turn it into something masterful? Or do you take rejection and turn it into more rejection towards someone else? Today we will unpack this idea that we must accept that anything in you will change even when everything around you refuses to. The boy couldn't change his facial features. He couldn't do nothing about that. So he did not change anything around him. He still got teased on the playground. He changed something in him with his capacity to create music that ultimately transformed a whole generation of hip hop. When we accept acceptance, a change happens in us that may not happen around us. Let's say this together. Ready? Read. When we You can create new music for the world by accepting the acceptance that God gives you even when you are rejected by everyone else. The little boy who cried Abba, the boy who cried Abba. I, I love this book. And I found this book in a little retreat center, in a retreat center where the author, author, the writer, Brennan Manning, Danielle always laughs because I mispronounced the word author, and I call it Arthur, <laughs> as if it's a person rather than author. So he's an author who used to teach a lot in this retreat center. And I found this book, and uh, I mean, it takes like 20 minutes to read for some of you, but this book really transformed everything for me. And there's one section in the book that I love most and it's on page 24, and it's the story of Willie Wan. Willie Wan was a little boy who, much like Jay Dilla, his facial features didn't look like everybody else's. He was in a car wreck. His face was partially burned. He was also biracial, so he lived in the Hopi Indian community that was uh, a traditional Native American community, yet he was a hybrid of uh, Irish and um, uh, uh, Spanish and also black. I mean, he, he, he just looked different. 
And so he was rejected because of how different that he looked. And we find him at this point in the book having been rejected by people, and he's walking in the festival still finding some sense of joy. Willie Wan was wandering around, absorbing the merriment at the fiesta, trying to decide whether he should buy a simple tortilla or a plump, juicy fajita when he caught sight of an old wooden wagon hitched to a small mare. On the side of the wagon hung a sign, the Great Medicine Show. Curious, he headed over toward the wagon, pausing at the edge of the crowd. Suddenly, he felt his heart rise to his throat. A tall, gaunt, angular man had stepped out of the buckboard and was about to speak when he stared across the crowd, a crowd of people straight at Willie Wan, a person everybody tried to avoid looking at. This medicine man stared straight at Willie Wan. The man's face was worn and weathered. It was beaten just as the wagon wheels, but the eyes, Willie Wan said, man, the eyes. Oh, madre, it is El Shaddai. Willie Wan breathed. He knew right away it was El Shaddai because the eyes were so sad. Say so sad. So, so, sad. so gentle. Say so gentle. So, gentle. so piercing and say so kind. So Willie Wan knew the eyes of El Shaddai, the eyes of God, because those eyes were gentle, piercing, and so kind. We find that Willie Wan connected with the medicine man who was beaten, withered, and worn because the medicine man was Jesus. And in many ways, Willie Wan identified with Jesus because he had gone through a crucifixion of his own, being persecuted and rejected because of how he looked when all he had was good intention. The person who wrote this book, his name is Brennan Manning. And Brennan Manning talks about a seminal moment in his life when he turned eight. We don't know exactly what happened, but he was rejected in a deep and meaningful way. And he says that at eight years old, someone introduced himself to him that he did not know before, but that he had been living with for the rest of his life. That person was called the imposter, also known as the false self. He said that when he was eight years old, the false self introduced himself, and the false self said to him, I am the imposter. The imposter is the false self version of your true self who comes in moment of deep rejection. I am the imposter. This is, oh, shoot. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So the imposter rejection in Brennan Manning's life at age eight set the stage for the imposter to give him a new line, a new way to act that was different from himself. Here's the imposter's line, and I want us to read it together. Ready? Read. No one will like, love, believe in, or see you. So the best thing you can do is work to impress everyone, but be known by no one. The imposter said, welcome to the real world, son. You must become me. Impress everyone, but be known by what? No one. Do you remember when the imposter first came to visit you? Because here's a secret. All of us have been paid a visit by the imposter. <laughs> The imposter has come along at some point in our lives due to deep rejection, either on a playground like Jay Dilla, or either out on the field like Willie Wan, or on the cross like Jesus, or wherever Brendan Manning was at age eight. The imposter has introduced himself to you, and it was an unlikely introduction, but his voice resonated with you because you no longer wanted to be hurt like you were again. 
Now, you don't have to get deep about it, but I want you to turn to your neighbor and talk around about when you think around about, right? You may have been visited by the imposter. Just turn to your neighbor when you think the imposter may have come. What moment of rejection may have come? Well, from the sound of the conversation, that imposter's been busy, ain't he? Okay, we know who the imposter is, right? The great deceiver, we know who that is, right? Anybody want to say his name? The devil, the enemy, the antagonist, Satan, the antagonist of your soul. And today, what I want to do, because the reality is, is that the imposter is still at work in the room. The imposter is still at work in our minds, still at work in our hearts. And today, I want to first expose the imposter, and then I want to exercise the hell out of who God has called you to be. Hell is being somebody you aren't. Believing that being somebody you aren't is better than being who you are because who you were was rejected. Today, I want to antagonize the hell out of the mediocrity that we accept by not being authentically who we are with what we say. Because we don't want to say anything that would make us, God forbid, different. But don't you know that being different is the only way you can make a difference? You can't make a difference in the world if you are doing the same thing. In fact, you are crazy to believe that you can do something different in the world by doing the same things that everyone else around you is doing. Being impressive becomes oppressive because we repress who we are to impress others. Soon, we aggressively hide we, who we are from even ourselves. Impression turns into an aggression, and that aggression leads to a deep, dark place. When being impressive becomes oppression. Now, I want to talk a bit about the Hopi Indians, which is the, the, the cultural setting for the book. Like Willie Wan, uh, I don't know why Brandon Manning chose the Hopi Indian village, village, but the Hopi Indian village is very near Arizona, and it's a reservation. It's a Native American village. And in fact, the person who was my mentor in undergrad for anthropology, her primary study was the Hopi Indians. That's who she studied. And one of the things about her is that she was a participant observant um, anthropologist, which means that she put her life into the Hopi Indians. And she was a, she was a white lady but she wore her hair like Hopi Indians, even though we were in Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt University. <laughs> and the way that they, they wear their hair is like, like a dome, like this, but then like cut very sharp, like all around the edges. And so she would like, I can see her now. <laughs> Catherine B. Howard was her name, Dr. Howard. And she would, her hair would just shake and that little dome would just be shaking like this here. And she, she, she had a cuisine that was in many ways like the cuisine or the food of the Hopi Indians. And uh, she was one of the most significant contributors to me staying alive when I was in college because she gave me a job when she didn't even have one for me of cutting her grass, even though she cut the grass after I cut it because I just cut it so bad. <laughs> one day I, I, she paid me to cut her grass. She paid me uh, $35 to cut her grass. And I cut her grass one day. And I just so happened to drive by the next day just to see how she was doing. And the grass was cut like far different than what I had cut it, like much better. I was like, Doc, did, who cut your grass after I cut your grass? She was like, mm. <laughs> I loved her. What I loved most about her was her knowledge of the Hopi Indians. She studied the Hopi Indians and like did a parallel between the Hopi Indians and blues music. And why? Because the Hopi Indians repressed their emotions throughout the entire year until it came time for the very same festival that Willie Wan was a part of. The highlight of the festival, though, was when people would repress how they felt 
364 years about their neighbor, 364 days in the year about their neighbors. But on one day of this festival, they would get into the middle of the village and they would make fun of everybody in the village that they did not like. And so they would, they, they would work all year to develop a costume to look like that person. By the way, when I was making fun of you, it wasn't because I, I didn't like you. I love you a lot. But what they would do <laughs> is they would really make fun of the people. And so you had like 24 hours to like dog out somebody that you did not like and everybody thought it was funny and okay. And in the 25th hour, everybody forgot about it like it wasn't nothing. And they went back to being the somber, sober, sad people that they were. So we find the setting of the story of a little boy who was repressed, his emotions were repressed, not just personally through his personal experience, but culturally. Don't you know that we culturally live in a time that teaches us to repress our feelings? Did you know that there are psychological phenomena connected to why the selfie can prove that people are mentally ill? No offense. Because we're so busy trying to impress people. Some people take like 50, you know, the average ratio, the average ratio for selfies is like you take 10 selfies to produce one picture. That means that you spend 10 times, nine times too much time doing something that you only will produce one product with. Marlon, yes. What is your anthropological opinion on the duck lip? <laughs> Here's what's interesting about the duck lip. And that, my friends, is what we call the Jason. Jason, never mind. So thank you, thank you for saying that. Like the duck lip, like we live in a time right now when what used to be called ugly is now called fancifully beautiful. Full lips. Full lips used to be dejected, right? But now people are paying for injections to bring about the full lip. And so the duck face was not invented by people who have full lips, which is why it's so interesting when people do have full lips that they do the duck face. You ain't got a duck face, you got the duck lips. <laughs> right? So it was, by, it was designed by people from a different culture because the, 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 the fuller the lips, the, the more young, the more uh, virile, um, the more um, uh, uh, exuberant and healthy a person looks. You notice as a person gets older, they may have had full lips, you know, when they were young, but their lips, you know, shrink up a little bit. You know what I mean? Everything kind of shrinks in and shrivels up a little bit. So those full lips communicate youth, right? So that's what the duck lips are about. But that's an imposter, right? Just have your own lips and just smile. You know what I'm saying? Just smile. We live in a culture that represses, like Instagram, Facebook, all of these things repress who we really are. And this culture that we're living in was no different than the culture that Willy Wan was living in with the Hopi Indians. When being oppression becomes aggression, we become oppression. We become oppression when we try to impress other people. And when we try to impress other people, ultimately we lead to this place to where we not only repress ourselves, but we have an aggressive move towards ourselves. We just don't like ourselves. Have you ever gone from trying to impress somebody to trying to impress them so much that you even dog out the best part of who you are? You can mess up the best part of who you are by trying to impress somebody else. Aggression leads to amnesia. Ultimately, when we first get rejected, then we go from rejection 
to impression, from impression to oppression, from oppression to aggression. That aggression leads us to the place to where we forget even who we are. We so aggressively pursue trying to be something different than we are that we succeed and we forget who we are. We forget who we are. Brennan and alcohol. Now, some of you may have studied Brennan Manning, the dude who wrote The Little Boy Who Cried Abba. But his story goes like this. He ultimately fell into alcoholism after he became a priest and after he left the priesthood to become married. He fell into alcoholism, deep alcoholism. Yet through his alcoholism, he experienced the healing and he began to write like nobody's business and teach like nobody's business and traveled all over the nation, to do, all over the world to do so. But ultimately, he fell back into it. Now, some people say that all of the traveling and all of the teaching and all the people that he had to see all the time and all the ideas he had to convince people to believe ultimately led him to the place to where he just could not handle the pressure. And he went back to drinking. I was talking to a friend. Um, as Danielle and myself were talking when we were last at Laity Lodge to Tim, the dude who runs um, the kitchen at Laity Lodge. Laity Lodge is like this pristine, beautiful host for Christian imagination. And the, the chef there was talking about Brendan Manning. I was like, man, we're reading a book about Brendan Manning. He's like, yeah, man, he's brilliant. He was like, but the last few years of his life, he was sauced. He was just sauced. He, he had wet brain. He had just been drinking so much that ultimately it effect, affected the circuitry of his brain. I think that many of us, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Many of us may end our potential too soon if we don't get a handle of what's happening and how we handle rejection. The best days are before you. Mama, mama, the best days are before you. No, 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 I'm, I'm just, no, but I, I'm talking to the seasoned people in the room. Brother, the best days, brother, the best days are before you. The best days, and so I'm talking to everybody, the best days are before you. But if you allow the days gone past to influence the days that are before you, you will become aggressively a person who forgets who he or she is. And you may succeed at being somebody else, but never succeed at being yourself. I want you to really embrace the next few movements that we're about to go on before we conclude because I believe that who you really are is at stake. Young, young men, hey man, look. I know I, I play with you, man, and I say you look like a young Cassius Clay, but I'm just playing with you. you know, be yourself, be yourself. But he does, don't look like a young Cassius Clay. <laughs> but don't you go around punching people, you know what I'm saying? Be yourself, CJ, be yourself. The, the worst thing you could do is to completely succeed at being somebody you're not and fail at being yourself. Be yourself. Aggression becomes amnesia, and we forget who we are. We go from rejection to false self to outward impression to inward oppression to soulful aggression. Anybody have any questions about this before we get off into this? Anybody have any doubts? Anybody like, eh, I don't think so. Anybody say, yeah, I like, rejection makes me a better me. And so it's not a false self that I'm creating. It's a better self that I'm creating. Okay, so we're on this, are we on the same page together? Okay, so we go from rejection to what? To inward, to soulful, 
You hate our very souls. But what happens next? Next, we go from a self-rejection to self-impression, trying to impress even ourselves, to a falser self, to inward oppression, to inward amnesia. And we have a deeper memory loss of who we are. We go from rejection to impression to oppression to aggression to amnesia. Well, Marlon, what does that look like? No, let me just leave that one up. I'm glad you asked. Um, what, what I want you to imagine is I want you to, let's do it like this. I want you to imagine that there are two rings, right? And this ring has a point, and this point right here is rejection. You get rejected, all right? And then that rejection leads you along the slippery slope of trying to impress other people, right? And then that leads you along the slippery slope to oppressing, oppressing who you really are. And that leads to a slippery slope to being aggressively trying to oppress who you are. And then that leads you to this place right here where you are an amnesiac and you forget who you are, right? But what happens if you don't stop this thing and reverse it and become accepted by God? What happens is, is that this moves, this sense of amnesia moves deeper in and you create another layer, another layer of deception. And it goes from self-rejection you reject yourself to self-impression. You even lie to yourself about things. In other words, you know you messed up, but you'd be like, no, that was good, wasn't it? Talking to your own self. <laughs> it ain't that bad. It's that bad. <laughs> I really didn't hurt their feelings that bad. They just tripping. You hurt their feelings. There's something for you to do. We go from per internal rejection to internal impression to internal oppression. I'm talking about deep, y'all. Internal oppression to internal aggression to internal amnesia. And what happens if you don't accept the acceptance that God has to offer? You even go deeper. And you go deeper. And you go deeper. And what happens every time you go deeper? You leave less and less room for greatness to happen in your life. When it first begins, you have a lot of room for things to happen, right? And you can make a lot of moves. But the more this self-rejection goes deeper and deeper and deeper, the less room you have to make an impact in the world. The less room. So if you had like from here to here, it's like 10 points of possibility, right? The more you go in, you have five points, five points of, of possibility. The more you get in, you have three points of possibility, then two points of possibility, then one point of possibility. You got this last little thing you hanging on to that you think makes you who you are. And the deeper you go, you totally lose yourself. There are many of us in the room who are completely lost because we have let this vicious cycle of rejection, oppression, impression, and aggression ruin and whittle away and twist and turn us out of even who we truly are. And the reality of it, what makes me most sad, is that we walk around believing that people are still rejecting who we are. It's not that people are rejecting who you are. It's that maybe people are rejecting this false self that you project. So even many of the intimate relationships that we have with the people that we say we love, they don't even really know us. And if they don't know us, how can they love us? 
God wants us all to be on a level playing field through his power and through his love and by his name so that we cannot just be known by other people, but so that we can know ourselves. Anybody in the room want to really know themselves? Can we be honest and say that we have all gone deep into the rabbit hole of self-deception? And we have allowed the imposter to introduce himself to us over and over again one too many times. Well, Marlon, please give me some good news because I'm depressed. (laughs) Here's the good news. Good news is, is that there are things that we must accept to know acceptance. Are you ready for those things? I said, are you ready for those things? Yes. Number one. Accept that you can't work to earn God's acceptance off the bat. Just stop. I know right now y'all trying to get some points. Okay, now give me the points. First, do this. Then do that. No, first accept that you can't work for God's acceptance. God's acceptance is more magnanimous than the cosmos. God's acceptance has a depth that's deeper than the universe. There is no way you can go to the depths and to the lengths with your own power to accept an omnipotent being's love. There's nothing you can do more of to accept God's love. The first step to accepting God's love is to simply say, I can't earn it. I can't earn it. Well, what they got to do with scripture. It is not from what works. Why? Because if it was from works, I would boast. It's not from work so that I can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works. It is not from works that you are good, that you are valuable, that you are important. It is not from what you have or haven't done. It is by God's divine intention and personal decision, personal, God, personal decision, that he made you great like you are. First, accept that you can't work for God's acceptance. Second, Accept that God accepts you by grace as a good work, even when your work isn't great. Don't, don't you take a picture of that. That's a mistake. Please. I'll be playing myself. I spoke at this conference, uh, except in, even when. Is that right now? Okay, thank you, Regina. I spoke at this conference uh, last week. It was like 500 people there. Like I had like... 10 grammatical errors. I know. And those people in the audience, they were just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so I had to come up with like 10 different jokes for every single one. It was horrible. I was so rejected. And from that place of rejection, I tried to impress them. And from impress them, I tried to aggress them. And from aggress them, I forgot who I was. By the time the thing ended, I didn't know what my first and last name was. <laughs> Except that God accepts you by grace as a good work, even when your work isn't great. So even when what you produce in life sucks, God still accepts you as you as a you as a great as a great, as a great work. That's a good work. Marlon, I, I don't believe you took where's that say in scripture? Oh sorry, dude. Sorry. Show me in scripture. For by grace you are let's read it together. Ready? Read. Stop right there, though. Stop right there. Dang, it's not from yourself. It's what? It's Let's keep going. It is it's not from 
having been created, having been created, even when your work isn't great, you are having been created for greatness. Even when your work is not exactly what you thought it should be, when things don't turn out like you thought that they should be, when your vision for the end does not equal your vision in the beginning, God, even before the foundations of the earth, determined that you would be good even when your work wasn't great. So in the moments when your work turns out less than what you imagine, the second thing you can do before you go into the slippery slope of this cycle that ultimately leads to amnesia is say to yourself, even though my work isn't great, I'm already good to God. The last thing you can do is accept that God accepts your worst for good. Oh, I like this. Not just for good qualitatively, but for good quantitatively. For good. Once you give God your worst in prayer, don't you know what God does to your worst, the Bible says? The Bible says he takes your worst and casts it into a sea of forgetfulness. So we be praying about the same things, asking for forgiveness over and over to God. Like, God, please forgive me for what I did last week. The Lord be like, now what would you do again? I forgot. I threw it into the sea of forgetfulness. I remembered it no more. So now what you talking about? Oh, you did that? Oh, God, I'll forgive you again. And they'd be like, yes, because you know I did. He'd be like, what? You did, oh, you did that? Oh, my God. It's like God has. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my me. Oh, my me. I can't believe it. Oh, my I. Oh, no. Oh, my us. Like, like the Lord has a degenerative memory because of his mercy. God's mercy and so some of us, here's the thing, some of us hear that and we'd be like, don't you talk about my Lord that way. My Lord does not have no degenerative nothing. My Lord is everything. No, that's the beauty of God. That's what being God is. Being God is being so great that you can forget other people's worst. That's what it means to be divine. So don't discredit God because he forgets your sin when you ask for forgiveness as if God is missing something. No, God gets it. And he gets that you are more than what you've done. Who you are is more than what you do. He knows that. So he can easily cast the worst of what you've done into a sea of forgetfulness because he knows the greatness of who you are. Now, Molly, I don't think that that's, that sounds like some old psychological babble. I want the scripture. Matthew, cha Matthew chapter 11. Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. Verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Yes. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. Ye shall find what? Yes. Rest for your souls. There are amnesiacs in the room, and your amnesia has come from an ill-fated introduction an introduction with the imposter. And the imposter has told you that the best thing you could do because you won't be liked, loved, or remembered by anyone is to impress what? Everyone and be known by who? And so we work to impress people and that impression that we wanna make on other people turns into a personal oppression, that turns into a personal aggression, that turns into a personal amnesia, and then we go deep. And it turns from personal rejection into personal amnesia. And then it goes deep. Rejection, amnesia, deep. Rejection, amnesia, 
Let's break the cycle today. God has created you as a workmanship before the foundations of the earth for good works. And there is nothing that you can do to earn his acceptance. There is nothing that you can do to lose his acceptance. God has called you into a relationship unlike anyone you've ever been with. Today, I'd like to invite you to come and to receive what you cannot earn. What I want you to do is I want you to right now close your eyes as they begin to play and just vibe out. I want you to go back in time to the place when the imposter first met you. Rather than being alone, though, I want you to imagine that the medicine man is with you. Jesus is with you. And as the imposter is extending his right hand to introduce himself to you, imagine that Jesus is on your right hand, holding you. can't go back in time, that in this time, you'll declare to the imposter that you no longer need him. You're sick of forgetting who you are and saying things that you regret. You're sick of forgetting what you've called to do and doing things that aren't memorable. you to tell the imposter that you appreciate what he tried to do, but that it falls short of what God made you to do. The deepest expression and the highest manifestation of who you are can be reduced to you being yourself. You are more powerful as you than you are important as someone else. Holy Spirit, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that now that the enemy, the imposter, has been exposed in the room. He's without cover, hiding. No decoy can keep us from the true declaration of who we are. Devil, as the old folks used to say, I serve you notice. I set you free. Be gone. Holy Spirit, come and rest in us that we might be ourselves. Now that the imposter is gone and you're in that place where you were, where you experienced deep rejection, I want you now to know that you can be yourself fullest expression of your power is being yourself. The deepest manifestation of God's glory in your life is the good work that God made you to be, not the good work that you do on your face to be somebody else. Holy Spirit, move in us as we declare that we are yours.
to do. What I want to do is I want to invite you to come to the altar. Now here's the, here's the thing of it. When I normally do this, when I do the altar call before the offering, we have problems paying our bills the next week. Because the offering just fits so nice and people just really give really well after the person comes to speak to talk about the offering. Like before I do the altar call. But I sense that there's something to happen right now that if we don't move on it right now, then we're going to miss something, okay? So I want us to do the altar call. Well, I want you to come and I want us to leave the imposter, right? And then we're going to do the offering. Is that okay? Leave the imposter in your seat and come to the altar. Next week, we're going to talk about attachment and how, for lack of connection, we've attached ourselves to things that we shouldn't. I challenge you to invite somebody to come next week. Come on, move in close, move in close. If you know that you have been rejected and that rejection has led you to a place to where you have, in one way or another, forgotten who you are, this is a place for you. Lord, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of the death of ourselves, through amnesia, we will fear no evil. For you are with us. Your word that we've heard today and your spirit that moves in us, Lord God, protects us. I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives when we decide to move in the way that you've called us to move. I thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to be the elect of God chosen by God to make choices that look like God on earth as it is in heaven. And nothing high, nor nothing low, nor principalities of darkness, nor angels, nor things from the past, nor things in the present, nor things in the future, not sword, bullet, Lord God, or bomb can keep us from who you've called us to be in Christ Jesus. By the name of Jesus, Jesus, I cast out all of the devil's works and wiles in our minds. Devil, you have no power over the passion with which we will approach our own personalities. We will passionately want to be ourselves and lovingly exclude anybody from our lives who can't handle it. We will lovingly, Lord God, be who you've called us to be and passionately move out of those places that make us somebody we aren't. This is the day, Lord God, that we declare that you've made this day for us that we might be glad in it, but not a false us, a true us. Lord, we love you. We are yours. You will recognize us unless we are ourselves, but today we come before you as who we truly are. We'll leave this place so joyful knowing that we have found ourselves again or are beginning to.